Today, like I said, we had a two for we got a two for Monday today, anyway. So, right. uh, our first show on um, that we got the awesome privilege today um, with Dr. Tom Buck. He is on the line, he is on my iPad. If you guys can, you guys can see him yeah, on there. You can. So, oh, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Good, good to be with good. you guys. Well, thanks for uh, coming on the show on short notice and everything, and uh, especially in light of everything that happened at uh, the SBC. Um, annual meeting and all that kind of stuff that you have the time. We thank you so much for the time that you have given us today. So yeah, well, let's just jump right in, Dr. Buck. If you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself. There might be a few people who have not caught your updates the last few years on the dividing line that are watchers of our show. So could you tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Lindell, Texas, which is about an hour and a half east of Dallas, so uh, right outside of Tyler. And I've been here for uh, over uh, 13 years and am um, just for the last few years have been uh, doing a yearly annual update on Dividing Line uh, uh, regarding the going ons at SBC uh, at the convention, usually uh, right after the convention occurs. So uh, several people have heard me do that. That's how I first was introduced to you, actually, was watching The Dividing Line, what was in Phoenix, and you sat yes. in the studio there mm -hmm. and talked with James White about, I think that was actually pre-Southern uh, Baptist Convention that time, wasn't it? Well, it was right in the middle of the Okay, convention. right in the middle of it, gotcha. Very, yeah. very good. Well, we uh, really have appreciated your words, um, both to the ERLC and the questions that you offered there. Sorry that you didn't get a better response, but we also really appreciated what you did in speaking against Resolution 9. And with that, one of the things you had said on the dividing line that I thought was really important was you said, you know, a lot of people voting for that resolution don't know what critical theory is or uh, critical race theory. Uh, they don't know right. what intersectionality is. Uh, so I kind of gave you two questions in that interview sheet. Uh, could you maybe explain briefly uh, to us and to those who are on the podcast what critical race theory is, what intersection, intersectionality is? Well, I mean, critical race theory is uh, difficult to get your mind around at all. I am not an expert by any means on critical race theory. There are several, many other people that are um, much better at explaining it than I am. I think that's one of the problems of bringing such a thing to the floor, because when I first heard about critical race theory, um, probably about a year ago, I had no clue whatsoever what it is. So essentially, critical race theory and intersectionality, they're founded upon uh, unbiblical presuppositions that have uh, descended from Marxist theories and, and even the categories within that. Uh, they're, I believe they're inherently opposed to the Word of God. Uh, they, they're a threat to uh, the center of Christian union. 
So if you were to go to just look at a basic, you know, definition on the internet regarding critical race theory, you would find that it's helping to understand or trying to help people understand and explain uh, the social problems that, that you have regarding racism in the culture. So they would say that uh, the problems in culture are uh, inherently racist. Uh, there's a systemic issue within the culture because of white supremacy, because of white privilege, uh, that then oppress uh, those who are people of color. So you have the majority culture, which is white. There are the oppressors. You have those who are oppressed by that majority culture. And it really breaks up all the culture into various groups that fit into either the category of the oppressor or the oppressed. Um, so um, they're ideologies. They're not analytical tools, as the Resolution 9 says that that's what they are. They certainly are. I mean, if you want to boil it down to its you know, basic essence. Yeah, it's an analytical tool, but it's far more than that. They're ideology. So critical race theory upholds postmodern uh, relativistic understandings of truth, for example. Uh, it divides humanity into groups, as I said, oppressors and oppressed. Um, it's used to um, encourage biblical um, transcendental truth claims to be considered suspect. Um, Intersectionality works along with that. Kimberly Crenshaw came along and introduced that and said that when you begin to consider those who are oppressed, because there's this victim category within critical race theory, that you can have multiple levels of uh, victimhood or oppression that occur, that intersect, if you will. So a black male would have one level, if you will, of oppression. Whereas a black female, because women are oppressed in the critical race theory understanding, and, uh, and she is also black, you have an intersection. Therefore, you have two levels of oppression. If uh, she were a lesbian black woman, then you would have three levels, transgender four levels, if disabled five levels. And so you grow the level of oppression based upon the intersections that you have, if you will, of these uh, varieties of oppression that occur. So uh, they claim it's an analytical tool to understand our culture, but the reality is it just causes a great amount of confusion and it has nothing in it whatsoever that is compatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a very rough layman's definition of it. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that. You would have to get an expert on here to talk about it if you wanted to understand more about it. So uh, I have a master's degree from Missouri State University in communication. And so we studied a little bit of, of critical theory. And so am I right? And I don't know if you, I've just assumed that individuals like Derrida and Foucault and Roland Barthes, and even going back to um, uh, to a little bit like John Locke and their presuppositions that built upon, again, uh, critical theory, it's inherently linked to uh, critical race theory. Am I correct in that assumption? Are you aware of that? Yeah, you are correct in that assumption. Okay. I think some places to go to get uh, a better understanding, and I think that that's what people need to do. They've got to get educated. Southern Baptists, for particular right now, have got to get educated about, about what this is. The messengers on the floor were uninformed. Uh, their decision that they made on the resolution was fully trusting the committee's presentation, which did not give them the level of information they needed. So you can go to uh, the Founders Ministry and listen to the uh, uh, a variety of talks that they did on this. I think Josh Bice has done an yeah. excellent mm -hmm. 
uh, job on explaining intersectionality. Uh, I think there's also some information at Sovereign Nations that has dealt with uh, some of the issues of critical race theory. But you're absolutely correct. That, that is right. Uh, but again, um, there are others that are explaining it and have a better understanding, working knowledge of it than I do. So Foucault, Derrida, I mean, were very straightforward in their denunciation of a Christian worldview. Uh, Absolutely. And I am certain that those are names that the majority of the people on the floor would have never even heard. Uh, same as Roland Barthes, same as Kenneth Burke. Uh, those are kind of scary names. And if you've read anything by any of those individuals, again, they would have come out of the Chicago school. They were opposed vehemently to a Christian worldview. Um, in fact, if, if I'm correct, and I'm, I'm only stating these things because I've tried to explain some of this to my wife because... She had no clue what any of this was, and I think she's a fairly knowledgeable person. But the average person has no clue where these uh, the frameworks that that built critical race theory, where they came from, and that uh, I guess that fountain that led us to uh, getting these resolutions on the floor at the Southern Baptist Annual Meeting, which kind of brings us back a little bit. Adam, I'll let you go ahead and get the next question. Well, I mean, uh, what we first need to talk about is since. Uh you know, you're saying that a lot of people are are uninformed of critical race theory and, and intersectionality. You know, there's probably a lot of Southern Baptists that are uninformed on what a resolution is anyway. So not, you know, there wasn't a whole, you know, I don't see a whole lot of people, and especially my age group, uh, becoming messengers um, at this kind of thing. So what is the resolution sort of process um, that this, uh, that this uh, came, how this came to be, I guess you could say? Well, the resolution process works that anybody can submit a resolution to the uh, SBC Resolutions Committee. I believe that they have to be um, uh, they have to be turned in about three weeks ahead of the convention. Then the resolution committee gets together. Get together, they consider each of the resolutions and they make a determination. They'll either accept the resolution as is and send it to the floor. They'll reject the resolution um, completely and not submit it to the floor or they will take the resolution that's been submitted and they may write one themselves or change the wording of it in a way that they feel is uh, better and they'll send that to the floor. They also can write their own resolutions as a resolution committee on anything that they think needs to be said. So we do know that this particular resolution number nine was birthed out of a resolution that Stephen, or a uh, Pastor Stephen Feinstein out of Sovereign Way Christian Church in uh, Hesperia, California, I believe I'm pronouncing that city right, had given a, resol a resolution regarding uh, critical race theory and intersectionality. What came to the floor was was nothing like what he that he wrote. It was um, so they either took what he wrote and gutted it for the most part, replaced the information that they wanted, the wording they wanted, or they took it and they uh, wrote their own resolution on critical race theory and intersectionality. And uh, on the Founders website, we've got uh, Dr. Askell had written that article, and he has, I believe, the version that was uh, submitted by Pastor Feinstein, where he essentially says that um, they were founded upon unbiblical presuppositions mm. from Marcus, Marxist theories. Um, right. And that they uphold postmodern relativistic understandings of truth. This is essentially right. a resolution that, at least in my mind, was denouncing critical race theory and intersectionality 
and it was turned into an embracing mm-hmm. of intersectionality and critical race theory. Am I correct in that understanding of how that worked? I think it might be a little bit of an overstatement, so I want okay. to try to be as fair as we yeah. can to the committee. Um, there's no doubt that the resolution that was submitted by Feinstein was a complete denunciation uh, uh, and, and totally, absolutely throwing out critical race theory and intersectionality as being useful in any way, that it should be fully rejected. There's no doubt that that's what he had submitted. Now, when, when we saw the resolution, we were not aware of the language that Feinstein had, uh, had given. Uh, so we're looking at that resolution, not even thinking that it connected any way with it, with what had been sent in by him. So what came to the floor, I wouldn't say is an embracing of it, Okay. but here's the way I've put it. Uh, and I'm hoping to release something on uh, Twitter to kind of lay out, uh, exactly what I think happened in my analysis of it. But I believe they got that resolution and they had a choice. Um, do we send it to the floor or totally reject it? If they totally rejected it, it would clearly be said by people, hey, look, the, the resolutions committee obviously has no problem with, with uh, critical race theory because they rejected uh, this particular resolution that denounced it. And so what they did is they sent to the floor what I would call a milk toast um, definition and they said that these, uh, both critical race theory and intersectionality, which are essentially not good, they said, to one degree or another, but they, are, they can be utilized as good analytical tools. Uh, where they watered it down, and I believe even misleading, uh, in a misleading way, I'm not saying they intentionally did that, but it certainly was misleading, uh, they said that uh, critical race theory and intersectionality have been appropriated by those who hold an unbiblical view, the reality is that those two ideologies originated yes. with those who hold an unbiblical view. It's not like that somebody out there had created this wonderful, good analytical tools such as critical race theory and intersectionality that help us better understand our world. And wow, Christians could use this in useful ways. And then these mean, bad people out there appropriated and have abused it and given these two wonderful ideologies a bad name. That's absolute or analytical tools, a bad name. That's absolutely false. It's misleading. Uh, We all know where it originated. It originated with those who hold neo-Marxist views, who hate Christianity, who despise the truth of God's word, and view the world in no way whatsoever that is consistent with the biblical worldview. Yeah, because I mean, basically, the Christian worldview is a part of this whiteness that uh, they would be speaking against. So, I mean, so we need to they need to recognize uh, again. This is the education that is needed. Um, from people that are in the SBC now that we have this resolution in place, um, we're we are not just leadership, but people in the pews are going to have to do research because this stuff can you know can creep into our sermons if we're not careful, right? That's that's correct, yeah. absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. And I think what will happen, um, um, I think what will occur in this is people will unknowingly use it that. Um, and, and maybe even employ some of the ideas of it that thinking that it's okay. Yeah. Uh, there are going to be other people who are going to know exactly what they're doing and wanting to push social justice, unbiblical social justice agenda, and they'll use this resolution as a shield 
as they employ these type of things and say, look, the SBC has said it's okay to use it this way, and they'll begin to promote absolutely bad ideologies that I believe are destructive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, as I said, I went to State University for my master's degree in communication, and we did study Foucault, Derrida, um, Roland Barthes, many of these critical theories of Chicago school, um, people who were in critical theory, and they never used these, and they never said that they were tools. Um, the way that we engaged them was never analytical tools. These are theories, and these are mm-hmm. mindsets. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think, and you know, again, I have many friends that are professors over at Missouri State University here in Springfield. I would be really interested to know what a individual who is in secular academia would say to this concept that it's an analytical tool, because I don't think it's ever used that way anywhere else, which almost seems to reword and uh, reallocate the way these worldviews are put forward. Does that make sense? Oh, I, I absolutely agree with you. But let me uh, let me give you a little test, all yeah. right? You guys ready? Mm-hmm. There is a course that's offered and let me read to you the course. It's on uh, Derrida and it's Foucault. Is that how you pronounce Foucault. it? Foucault. Foucault, yeah. Foucault. I never pronounce it right. I'm from Tennessee. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> that happens. All right, so this is called uh, Derrida and Foucault and the Bible. Okay? Okay. Now, let me describe the course to you and you tell me where this course might exist. This course will help you see what Derrida and Foucault are really saying and show you how you can bring their thought into conversation with the Bible. You will get an accessible introduction to the thought of the two of the most influential French philosophers of recent decades, and you will learn the methods for fostering meaningful engagement between their philosophical ideas and biblical doctrine. Okay, so a few things, Dr. Buck. And I'm saying this as uh, my master's thesis is... Uh, I utilize postmodern methodologies in my master's thesis, something called crystallization. So I had to read, like, Of Grammatology. Um, That's one of Derrida's books. Uh, I have had to um, spend time reading Roland Barthes, like, The Death of the Author. Uh, Their their framework is that words do not have meaning. They are constructs of society that oppress people. And so normalization that we see is actually oppression. With Foucault, because he was uh, so explicitly sexual in everything that he wrote and the way he processed the world, the guy died of AIDS. Like those, I don't know how familiar you are with Foucault. He actually tried to get people to be sick with AIDS, right? Like he went out trying to engage people in sexual activity to do that. So Foucault's uh, unpacking of scripture would be um, that words don't have meaning. They're social constructs that oppress people. And therefore, for Derrida or Foucault to even deal with scripture, they would begin to look at any type of power language or oppressive language, right? So, again, Foucault would write pretty explicitly that, you know, this normalization of genders, this normalization of uh, sexual activity, right, uh, that is just a power structure that has been propagated by uh, individuals who are able to enforce what they believe is normal. Does that make sense? And so that... I hope that that is not a class taught at one of our seminaries. I would be blown away if that's a course taught at a a cooperative program funded seminary uh, for shame at that school. Who is it? We need to contact that person right away. Well, it's not a Southern Baptist school, but it is taught and you can find it online at the Gospel Coalition. 
Who is the author of that? The author of that is Christopher, Dr. Christopher Watkin. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to uh, uh, hit a button and, and pop that over to you guys. Thank you. Uh, in your, um, you'll, it'll be popping up right now for yeah. you. That so, is shameful. Yeah, I mean, this is what I'm saying. People, this this was put out, this course you can take, it's an online course that they teach at TGC. Mm. Um, and it was, um, let's see, first introduced in April of 2018. So April 3rd of 2018 is when they offered this course, and you can still take it online. And uh, background, the death of God, Derrida, metaphysics, uh, ethics, theology, Foucault, history and truth, power and knowledge, ethics and identity, and how you can understand those things to bring it into conversation with the Bible. There you go. Yeah, well, we got it, got it up. Well, uh, I'm blown away that the Gospel Coalition that, is that the Gospel Coalition you said. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, man, I cannot believe that that is. That sounds like if you go back to ten years, right, and you talk about the individuals who were really big, like Brian McLaren and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob Bell, even that sounds like the emergent church language, right? Right. The people that I would have that I knew that were emergent church folks, uh, Peter Rollins, right? Those types of individuals, those were the folks that they were talking about, right? Those were not the folks that people, in fact, I remember when I was at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in uh, 2010, uh, I think right around 2010, might have been 2009, I was there 2008, 9, 10. Uh, when I was there uh, working on my master's degree there, they had a postmodern, you know, uh, they did basically a little seminar on postmodernism, and they spoke out against it there. Um, mm-hmm. And that was before Jason Allen was there. And you, uh, you would not think that anyone on our seminary campuses 10 years ago would have all embra- at all embraced that idea. Uh, right. That is... That's toxic. That's why this is a big deal. Yeah. So uh, thank you for sending that to us. I will certainly look over it. Uh, again, my my master's degree, uh, I studied something called crystallization, which is a postmodern research methodology based in critical theory. And so I have some familiarity with what they teach. I'll put real simple. And if you've ever read Derrida, it's incredibly difficult because he doesn't really communicate. Um, mm. And I, I, I'm not joking. Pull up, and there's so many different PDFs of his papers written. It's it's crazy if you read them because again, his presupposition is that words don't really have meaning, uh, yeah. and that's really serious. Well, better get back to our questions. So. Yeah, yeah. Do we want to address a question that we have from interaction? Or oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, Jonathan Hanna, he's uh, also one of our uh, Missouri Baptist Apologetics Networks apologist anyway, or yes, he was anyway. He's not a part of us now. I keep on forgetting about that. Sorry, Jonathan. But anyway, um, I want to ask your question to him. He says, Dr. Buck, was this resolution pushed to the end of the day's business? If so, is it common for the SBC to push more controversial resolutions toward the end and also overly limit floor debate? Well, I don't have a whole lot of knowledge on the long history of the SBC. I do know that it is common to have the less controversial um, resolutions at the front end. Often there will be bundled together like a thank you to the mayor, to the, something to the city, so forth and so on, things that are going to be not controversial. And they'll often um, bind them all together and vote on them. So, yes, this was late. Um, 
I, I think that, you know, only God knows what motives people is, are in people's hearts. I think we have to be really careful of that. Yes, sir. But what we can say is that there was clearly a mismanagement of time uh, because those earlier resolutions, there was all kinds of things that went on that could, the, the time could have been managed better. That's just easy to analyze if you were there. And then after they finished eight, they recommended that nine through 13 resolutions be bound. Well, that meant we, you know, you couldn't even vote on nine by itself. You had to vote nine with, with through 13 together. We opposed that and um, they took nine out and we discussed it. The biggest problems that I had with it is that they limited the discussion to 10 minutes. I mean, that's, and I'm talking about for nine through 13. We needed 20 minutes to this probably needed two days to discuss nine, but to give it 10 minutes for the entire five resolutions was absolutely uh, ridiculous. There's yeah. no other word for that. And so uh, I, I believe what they should have done, it was clear that the messengers did not understand critical race theory intersectionality. Um, it's hard for me to believe that, but maybe it's so, but the committee was at the, at the least, they were naive to think that the messengers had a good working understanding, informed knowledge of those things. I think they depended upon um, them, the messengers, to trust them and what they were bringing to the floor regarding their, their definition. Uh, what should have been done is it should have been pulled from the floor once it was clear that there was so much confusion and said, listen, People need to be informed about this before they vote on it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to assign any motives, but it, there were serious issues with it being pushed to the end of the day and then given limited time. Yeah. So I mean, there is an option to, in the SBC annual meetings. Is there? There is an option to table something, say, till next year or for a certain amount of time. Oh, the committee could have certainly. Oh, yeah. uh, they could have certainly said we're going to. Um, um, stop right now, and we'll just bring this back at another time. Hmm. This is one thing that kind of, uh, it's very related, and I want to kind of come back to some of our questions that we put together, but uh, how does something like this get into a resolution at the Southern Baptist annual meeting, right? Something like the crit critical race? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't understand how... Again, we have somebody writing a theory, yes. and I guess I want to tie this in with, we hear a lot about like social justice warriors. And so I kind right. of bring these two together. I think they kind of intersect. I hear a lot about it. I conceptualize it to mean certain things. And then I see, because I think you know, social justice, that's, that's not a bad thing. We want, we want people to be treated uh, with equity. We want people to be treated rightly. Right. Uh, but I think that there's a, a pairing of these concepts together that is toxic and very problematic. So uh, maybe kind of answer that question. Uh, how does social justice theory fit into, or, or social the social justice warrior movement kind of fit in with critical theory and intersectionality? Well, I mean, it, it, it's it, if you're going to be able to accomplish the kind of worldly social justice that so many Southern Baptists these Southern Baptists that are social justice warriors, if you will, are pushing it. Uh, you, you really can't do it without the ideology of critical race theory and intersectionality. Gotcha. It's, it's necessary yeah. because you have to have a victim group. Mm. And so when you have the Bidiana Buile saying publicly that, uh, who's a Southern Baptist pastor and saying on TGC that uh, 
I, I myself and my grandparents, my parents, my grandparents who apologized for the murder of MLK, uh, were all being lumped into uh, a group of people because we've created the systemic oppression. So we might as well have, have taken the rifle and pulled the trigger ourselves uh, because we're in this group and because we're in this group, we created the oppression that brought about his death. I mean, that's how the thinking goes. Yeah. So uh, you, you don't need um, either of those uh, critical race theory intersectionality to accomplish biblical justice. Agreed. How do we know we don't need it? Because it did, those ideologies are antithetical to scripture and they didn't even exist until, you know, uh, centuries after the word of God was completed. They're not compatible with the word of God. Mm-hmm. You have the Word of God does not look at people in groups. Uh, it looks at individuals and, and even says in Ezekiel 18 that the children cannot be held responsible for the sins of the fathers. But yet, when you look at critical race theory, you have whole swaths of people that mm-hmm. are responsible and are guilty, even if they had nothing to do whatsoever with what's what's taking place. In fact, individual, I'm, I, why am I a racist according to critical race theory? I'm a racist not because I possess racist views, personally. I'm a racist not because I in any way have any hatred in my heart towards someone of another race. I'm a racist because I belong to a certain class of people. I am a white male. I am born with white privilege. I live in a culture of white supremacy, and therefore I am inherently a racist. And I need to reject my whiteness... As, as they say, uh, and, and they're not talking about the color of my skin per yeah. se, but they're saying whiteness and the ideology of whiteness that oppresses those of, of people of color. And until I do that, until I repent of that and become an ally of the other groups, uh, I will continue to be in, in my sin, uh, so to speak. So, yeah, you cannot have the brand of social justice. We're not talking about the biblical justice of bringing justice to society that is uh, without partiality, as Scripture says, and uh, treating people as individuals rather than groups of people. You can't have the kind of justice that Scripture speaks of uh, with critical race theory. So it's absolutely necessary to drive the social justice warrior program. Mm -hmm. So a redefinition of justice that is non-biblical, that is rooted in what would be called systemic racism, and the presupposition that each of us who possess whiteness right. uh, and do not fall within the, uh, I guess, the scale of intersectionality that would make us um, less or more oppressed than the average individual, we really don't have any say. We can't speak to these issues, in fact. And therefore, right. really, what we should do if we want to just go ahead and give in to the absurdity of this is we need to give all of those individuals that uh, do fall on the scale of intersectionality and oppression and those who don't possess whiteness, they're the only ones who should really have a voice in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, That's exactly right. If we're going to be consistent. I mean, yeah, <laughs> right. so right. here's some other questions we have from uh, one of uh, a guy who just w- watches uh, our program quite a bit. Uh, he just says, uh, can you talk a little bit about what pastors and teachers need to be doing to educate the average member of Southern Baptist churches about the issues and uh, what, and yeah. And then he says, and is Resolution 9 indicative of the direction of the SBC and the way it's headed? 
So what do the average pastor and teacher need to do in order to inform folks about Resolution 9? What does this all mean, in other words? I think what they owe to their congregation is helping their congregation understand what critical race theory and intersectionality actually is. Um, I think they need to work on getting a layman's knowledge as much as possible that gives a fair representation of what it is. We shouldn't work to demonize anybody uh, that is trying, you know, that is, even those of the committee. We just need to give facts. We need to be as factual as possible. We need to give information to people so that they can make a decision. If their church is supportive of, of using critical race theory and intersectionality as, as analytical tools, then... Baptist churches are autonomous, they can choose to do that. I think that if your average Southern Baptist in the pew gets an understanding of what these two things are, CRT and IS, if they get an understanding of that, that they will not support it. So we just simply need to give them the information yeah. and say, here's what it is, and it uh, these are not analytical tools or ideologies, and this is where they give birth from. I think we want to be careful not to simply use the genetic fallacy and mm. say, well, it's Marxist, and that's all we say. That's right, well said. I'm accused of that because I made that statement from the floor. But the problem is, is I had a very limited time of what I could say. Yeah. And so I had to say something, uh, which which it is. It's rooted in neo-Marxism. Um, and because, that, because it is an unbiblical and go a godless ideology, then that should cause us to raise mm -hmm. red flags and look and see what is it, it teaching. Because it doesn't just stem from Marxism, it's consistent with it. Yes. Yeah. And therefore, you know, it's not like saying uh, this guy uh, should be rejected because his book on flowers should, uh, uh, you know, uh, wildflowers or something like that should be rejected because a Marxist wrote it. Therefore, what he says about wildflowers is wrong. Well, th the two have nothing to do with each other. So that's, you know, that's truly a genetic fallacy to re reject anything the guy says in life. Or if he tells you where to go for a restaurant, you say, I can't go there because a Marxist gave me the recommendation. But in this situation, it's not apples and oranges, it's apples and apples. Yeah. Therefore, the, 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 the very core and the essence of critical race theory and intersectionality doesn't just stem from Marx neo-Marxism. It is absolutely fundamentally consistent with neo-Marxism. It shares the same worldview as neo-Marxism, yeah. which hates Christianity. Therefore, it's not the genetic fallacy when you say it comes from there. We're saying it comes from there because it's absolutely consistent with, with the belief. So we've got to be educating people in our churches. Yeah, right the second on. question you said was, is this indicative of where the church is, the SBC is going? Absolutely. Mm. Now, let me tell you why. Man. Let me give a quick analysis, and I don't have much time left, yeah. unfortunately. But let me give you a quick analysis of what I think occurred. The, uh, the committee gets this, the resolution committee gets this resolution from Feinstein. Uh, the resolution is strong in condemning and denouncing critical race theory and intersectionality. If they don't take it to the floor, they're going to be seen as supporting CRT and IS. But if they take it to the floor in its current form, it's going to completely uh, and absolutely shut the door to anyone using uh, either of those things as tools. The SBC is already using critical race theory and intersectionality. For instance, 
in our institutions and in various organizations within the SBC, and I'm not going to list them all here, but I, I could, but I'll not do that at this time. There is a book that's being promoted that's driving a lot of the conversation. It's called Divided by Faith. <laughs> that book is absolutely fundamentally rooted in the godless ideologies of critical race theory uh, and intersectionality. So the Southern Baptist Convention is already using and utilizing things to push social justice that is based and rooted in those ideologies. So I believe the committee wanted to give something to the floor that said the Bible is superior. I believe that I believe the committee believes that. But I think they believe in all sincerity that you can take critical race theory and intersectionality and use it in such a way to help us better understand the culture and then bring the Bible alongside of that. Well, that's exactly what the TGC is offering in its course. So, yes, this is where we're going. This is where we're headed. And these two ideologies will not work as tools to help us in better spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will work as wrecking balls that will totally destroy the gospel if they are uh, used in, in, in complete, uh, allowed to grow to complete fruition of what, what they actually teach. So I am very concerned about this. This is no small matter. Southern Baptist pastors need to wake up, educate their people, and I'm proposing that we work for a resolution to overturn what was done last right. year. And 2020 needs to be um, a time that we we correct this mistake, this huge mistake right. that was made. Uh, real yeah. quick, I know you need to go. I, Adam and I are writing resolutions for the Missouri Baptist Annual Meeting in October. Is there anything that can be done like at the state level where we would denounce these things? Uh, is that something that uh, you would even be willing in helping us put together to, for some people at their state conventions? I think that's a great idea. I hadn't thought of that, but I think, I think getting some resolutions to the state convention level okay. would be a great way to go. I will be glad yeah, to communicate push. with you beyond this mm -hmm. because I already have a resolution written for the, well, two written for the Missouri Baptist. I'm just hoping they don't uh, skip past mine. So, yeah. Well, Dr. Buck, we just thank you yeah, so thank much you. for your time, brother. Uh, so grateful. A privilege to get to speak with you. Uh, thank you for your hard work. And uh, please uh, keep us informed when you get your piece written uh, about this. Uh, eventually, we'd love to have that sent to us as a message so we could share it on mm -hmm. our page as well. And uh, hopefully sometime we'll get to meet again in the future. Well, that would be awesome. I appreciate you guys having me on. I hope it was somewhat helpful. I'm not the most Fair. knowledgeable about these things, but uh, you're way more knowledgeable than I am on critical race theory. But thank you for having me on. Thank no you, brother, so much. Really appreciate it. You have a great day. You God you bless too. you, God man. bless you both. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Dude, well, that, that got great, the uh, conversation started. I uh, hope you guys, um, if you guys haven't familiarized yourself with critical race theory, with intersectionality, with where it comes from, where it's going. What we're the, going uh, to be doing you know, another program yeah. on critical race theory. In fact, what we're probably going to do is engage one of the professors over at SB or at Missouri State, okay. and maybe a professor from Drury to come on and and just speak straight up what is critical theory, yeah. what is critical race theory. They'll be they will not be Christians, and so we'll be able to just investigate it and let's actually get to what this is. And mm -hmm. I know for sure, I know two people that are certainly one we've already had on Brett Miller. We can probably get him on again to talk critical theory with us straight up, and he's familiar with the Christian worldview, so he could probably give us a really good you know, understanding of things. And then also uh, Dr. Uh, Dudash Buzzkirk would probably also come mm -hmm. on to talk critical theory because she was my professor at uh, Missouri State. Yeah. So, 
So, you know, hopefully, again, uh, tag your it. We want to be able to uh, edify you guys, strengthen you guys, put you guys into a position where um, hopefully you hear these things and go, I really do um, need to pay attention. I do need to study these things. Because this isn't just for scholars. This is, again, we saw people vote. And they were laymen people that are part of congregations that are sent to be messengers to vote on things like this. Um, the thing is, is like, Yes, there's no such thing as a denomination in the Bible. Um, the denominations aren't necessarily necessary. But the cool thing is, is the SBC has come together at its very beginnings as a uh, catalyst between churches that wanted to work together so that we can go on mission. Um, we can send people you know, to our local areas and then we can ship people out over the pond um, to every nation, language, and tongue to preach the gospel. Um, they're it's good for, you know, say disaster relief or anything like this. I mean, there are great things um, that the, the SBC does. Um, so, again, denominationalism isn't biblical per se if you take it too far. And to me, this kind of a thing is a very unbiblical thing um, that the SBC shouldn't have even done. Um, like Tom Buck says, it was rushed. They didn't talk about it. They could have tabled it, but they didn't because they're just trying to push things through. Guess what? They're, they're sinners. Uh, they still have sin within them. They're trying to get things done. Guess what? We have to just admit it and just be like, "Yeah, <laughs> we we sin. This was a, a you know this didn't work out the right way." But now because of it, we have a responsibility as people. If we're if you are in the SBC, um, if you would if you have never been a messenger and you want to get to study this stuff, work your butt off this year, get an understanding of it, and then show up next Orlando. year. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I went to the Missouri or the the. Green County Baptist Association. This is just something that's county. I went there, and there were very few people my age there. These things are going to die off if we're not careful. And so if you want to see the SBC go back to its roots to preach the gospel to every language, nation, tribe, and tongue, and to be there, it is crucial for the 30-somethings and younger you know what? If if you want to use woke for something, let's wake up. Let's get woke biblically. Stay Stop alive. Stay awake. That's what Scripture tells us to do: to guard against the wolves because they're coming and they're coming after the weak ones. And we just saw it. Yep. Whenever they voted for critical race theory, not knowing and just listening to smooth talk. So it's going to take the younger generation, and we're going to have to then, as thirty somethings with kids, bring our kids up. To teach them about these things and to be well, I guess biblically we're have woke. To go to Orlando with me yeah. next year. So, so it's one of those things. Yeah, we need to uh, work our butts off. We need to become messengers. Um, I know that there was a conspiracy back in '93 that they talk about with the Freemasonry issue. That there's a conspiracy that a lot of Freemasons in the Baptist um, convention became messengers to make sure that nothing was denounced against Freemasonry. And I understand. I'm saying that. As a, it's a conspiracy theory, um, but things like this stuff happens. It's totally probable, um, but we need to go on the opposite side and fight for our fellow Christians because people are going to get taught this stuff and they're just going to accept it because they don't have the mindset to want to study. Um, and I see that all over the place, um, not just in the SBC, but congregation people just like to sit in the pews and listen and agree. And yeah. we can't do that. Um, Christ, that's not Christian sit back and just agree without pushback or anything or coming to understanding 
bearing with each other in love, exhorting each other every day with words of exhortation from what? Scripture. So, again, um, I I hope that you guys have been uh, edified by this. I hope this gives you at least the starting of information. Um, Guys like Tom Buck, Tom Askell are working hard. If you want to get a hold of anything. uh, Dr. Jared Longstore, uh, I would really encourage anyone. Looks like like the Founders Ministries page has some really good stuff. And uh, if you aren't a part of a Founders Church, I would encourage you to be a part of the Founders Friendly Church. And support that ministry, too. And Um, financially support that ministry, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they have conferences. They've got awesome literature. They've got the Sword in the Trial podcast um, where they're talking about these things. It was Tom Askell and a few guys uh, from Founders Ministries that pushed through the uh, so uh, the social justice gospel or social justice and the gospel statement yes. um, that I am a signer of and I think I have not signed, signed I need to, I need to read totally it. My, totally a signer I, of it so um, I will be but that's yeah, all right certainly. I mean I'm not like a special signer I'm not like one of those that you'll see my name I'll never be my, a special but, signer you know, either, that's, that's okay man I'm glad. but you know I do subscribe to that statement so there's all this stuff out there and it's at a click of a button on your computer to read to understand. Because this is, like he said, this is the direction it's going. This will affect you at some level. So please uh, be in prayer about this stuff. Be in prayer. Guard your own heart um, whenever we're doing this. And again, all like always, remember grace. That's right. Whenever we do this. So, that's right. Amen, um, brother. So I think that's right uh, pretty much all I have to say for we now. We've got another show yeah, here today. We got... In just a few hours, we yeah. will have a show at 6 o'clock. And uh, couldn't be two more remarkably different topics. But we will not meet for the week of the 1st. And we will not we meet... Excuse me. We will the not 24th? meet... 24th? Nec- yeah. 24th. And the 1st. And the 1st. Yes. So that's what we're doing two shows today. And I think we're going to have good stuff. And these will come out eventually on the podcast. Yeah, and we'll give you a lot of time to uh, go over this information please. and then give you a break from our show so you won't have to worry about one hour of your life if you watch this live and take that hour next month, the next couple Mondays and spend it on founders.org or foundersministers.org or somewhere. Like take, take the time if you do like this show and you do watch it and every bit of it, take that one hour for us right. so we can, we'll beg you to and get informed um, about these issues. So with that said, I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. This is the Tag Your It Podcast. Soli. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.